Welcome back to Second Inch Short. It is January 6th, 2022, and we're entering week 18 of the football season. And today we've got an NFL preview for a couple of those week 18 matchups, some NFL news, uh, some great signs regarding Damar Hamlin, uh, the playoff picture entering week 18. We're going to give y'all our NFL awards predictions, talk about a couple of the Premier League results from the week, and then end it off as usual with stake your claim. Let's get it started. Week 18, we're starting Saturday night, 8-15, Titans-Jaguars for the AFC South. Yeah, uh, I personally, Grayson, cannot wait for this one, but I'm kind of expecting a little bit of a dud. The Titans have been probably the most boring team in the NFL as of late. but did look better with Dobbs at the helm, and he is starting this week against Jacksonville, which is a little bit worrisome because Dobbs, you know, that breath of fresh air that you always talk about, Grayson, you could definitely tell it was that for the Titans. Um, they do, and, you know, as long as Josh Dobbs can hand off the ball as well as Ryan Tannehill can, they'll have a chance because Derrick Henry's back this week, and he's always <laughs> going to be a factor late in the season. Um, Derrick Henry coming back is, oh man, that's a huge blow <laughs> to the Jaguars, honestly. But I don't know, man. The Jaguars look very high powered. Trevor Lawrence is playing his best football. And if they can get Etienne going, I, I think the Jaguars. Yeah, I think that, this game. you know, Trevor Lawrence proved that, you know, he can play this Titans team pretty well. And in their first meeting of the season, he was 30 for 42, 368, and three touchdowns and had his second highest passer rating of the season at 121.9. So I think there's definitely a lot more favor towards the Jags, and that explains the six-point favorite. But I still think it could be interesting. I think with Derrick Henry coming off this injury, uh, obviously he's still a little bit banged up. He's not 100%, but we know how much he can carry this Titans team. So I I wouldn't be surprised if it's a close one, and I also wouldn't be surprised if the Jags win like 28-3. to I, I definitely agree with that statement. And other thing I wanted to bring up with the last time these two teams played, it was a uh, 36 to 22 Jags took it obviously. Um, and it was, it was a little bit closer. If you look at the, uh, the more detailed stats though, um, almost a really similar time of possession, almost the same there. Titans did have four turnovers though, and three fumbles or three of the four turnovers were fumbles and both teams had the same amount of first downs. So down to for Tennessee is Josh Dobbs just has to do enough. They need to have a simplified pass game because the Titans have no receivers, which we've seen all year long happen to him, but they do have Derrick Henry coming back. Titans just got to limit turnovers. And that's probably what you're going to get from Derrick Henry. Um, and I think if the Titans do that, maybe, you know, I, I will eat my words of what I said earlier about this game. being. Yeah, I, I just don't think that the Titans can get creative enough with their game plan to outplay the Jaguars because they're going to have to outscore a Jaguars defense that's pretty hot. They've been putting up a, a fair amount of points the last couple of weeks. Tight or Last week against the Texans, they put up 31, 19 against the Jets, 40 against the Cowboys, 36 against this Titans team, and 40 against the Lions. And that's just the last five or yeah five weeks. They've been putting up points all season. So it's going to be tough for this Titans team to keep up if all they're doing is handing the ball off to Derrick Henry. 
Yeah, and, and another thing that I wanted to point out is the Jaguars' defense has only allowed three points um, in their last two games. They gave up three to the Jets and three to Houston in the rivalry game last week. Defense looks good, too. Um, this Jaguars team, you know, don't let the record fool you. Um, if they make the playoffs, which I, I think they will come out on top against yeah. the Titans, so you've got be the Jags. team. All right, I'm in the same Jags, boat. So we're both 100%. taking the Jags in this one. And now we go to a game where one of the teams could play spoiler for, you know, a division rival, and that's the Jets versus the Dolphins. The Jets are one-point favorites in this matchup because two was out and Teddy Bridgewater's questionable. Skylar Thompson was getting the first team reps at practice this week. You know, do you think that the Jets will take this one and, you know, ruin the playoff hopes for a division rival? I definitely think they do. Um, the Jets will take this one. But one thing that I wanted to point out that it's a it's a really interesting kind of upside for Miami in this game is the one bit of action that Skylar Thompson has seen this season was against the Jets earlier this year. He lost and didn't have a good game, but I just feel like that's kind of unfortunate for New York going into this game is that the quarterback you're going to see is the one that's already played against you. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. We do have a lot of injury news in this game, though, Grayson. Um, Mike White is questionable for the Jets. And on the Dolphins' side, you have Teddy Bridgewater, Jalen Waddell, Bradley Chubb, and Xavier Howard. Yeah, so for sure. And, for you know, one thing that when I was looking at this matchup and seeing that, you know, the Dolphins have a, a good chance to make the playoffs if they win is I think it's best that their season comes to an end this week because I don't want to see Tua force himself back onto the field. He needs an extended break. Two weeks is not enough to recover from, you know, two concussions throughout this the course of the season. I think that it is in the be in the Dolphins' best interest to lose this game and not go to the playoffs. I, I agree with you, and this was actually um, the claim that I uh, in, in the stake our claim section. This is what I talked about: is maybe Tua, you know, regardless of the results of this game, should sit out uh, the rest of the season if they are in the playoffs, or you know, like you just said, he could have an extended off season. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It is in the Dolphins' best interest to lose this game. If I'm not mistaken, they basically already have all their stars locked up, you know, for a couple more years. They they can afford to wait, and Dua needs to wait as well, you know, for him personally. He's a extreme competitor that if he has a sliver of chance to play, he's going to play, but with concussions, you just don't want to fuck well, with Let's go anymore. to Pittsburgh. We've got Brown Steelers. Steelers are a two-and-a-half-point favorite in the main thing I want to ask is, do you think that the Steelers' magic is going to continue? I do. I, I could totally see the Jets beating the Dolphins, and I could totally see the Bills beating the Patriots because the Bills, as we just talked about before we started recording, um, they still have you know a reason to play their full team uh, against the Patriots. And the Steelers, you know, they're playing a Browns team that just doesn't really look that great with Deshaun Watson. Of course, he had a much better game against the Commanders last week, but – that's kind of the first, you know, positive we've seen from him all year long. And the Steelers are red hot right now. So I definitely think the Steelers. I think that it's tough you. because you? you know what? The Browns do have something to play for in this game. And it's spoiling the season that has been a huge turnaround for a division rival. You know, we kind of overlook this sometimes when it comes down to the last week of the season is that you're always going to play a division rival. And if they're in a position where 
you know, beating you gives them a chance into the playoffs. You don't want them to beat you. You don't want to look like a worse team than them. So I think the Browns are going to bust their ass and try and get a win this week. Yeah, and we've already kind of seen that mentality. Uh, we talked about it hours ago at the Mexican restaurant, is that Miles Garrett's already talking shit. Um, he, he would love a chance to spoil the Steelers' playoff hopes. And that's just how the AFC North is, man. It, yeah. it's, it's and and with the Browns <laughs> already beating them this season, you know, it does raise some questions. But um, the, the out, outlier here is that in that Browns-Steelers game from earlier this year, uh, the quarterback matchup was Mitch Trubisky versus Jacoby Brissett and, and not Kenny Pickett versus Deshaun Watson. So I think these are two completely different teams that have taken much different routes throughout this season. So um, I, I wouldn't, you know, ride on much of what that first matchup means. Yeah, and and I, I, the Steelers are definitely looking for revenge as well. You know, that that's the kind of other side of like the, this petty rivalry is that the Steelers do need to win to make the playoffs, but I can sure as hell tell you that the Steelers also would not uh, would like to not get swept by Cleveland. Um, and another thing, uh, interesting thing I wanted to bring up about this game is the injury report. It, it's kind of shitty for both teams, I'm not going to lie. Alex Highsmith, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Miles Jack on the Steelers' side, plus James Pierre, who's been a really serviceable cornerback. On the Browns' side, you have Denzel Ward and Amari Cooper. So a lot of superstars are questionable going into this game. But, of course, it's Thursday as we're recording yeah. this. So and, you know, the last game that I really want to talk about is Rams-Seahawks because there is an interesting thing for the Rams to play for here. But the Seahawks are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home, and we're trying to see if Geno can take this team to the playoffs. I he's definitely had games where he looks like a playoff quarterback. He's over 4,000 yards this year, which is unbelievable. I love to see Geno Smith play well. And the last time that the Rams and Seahawks uh, played each other, Geno had a ridiculous game. And so did Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I think that's going to be the main key, um, you know, with Seattle having uh, three of their running backs questionable. I think that the the Seahawks are going to have to have an awesome yeah, pass. And, and as well as that, Noah Fant's questionable. So that kind of pushes Will Disley into the starting tight end spot if no offense out and the targets are all going to be going to DK and Tyler Lockett so it does that you know hinder them because you know DK is going to get locked up by Jalen Ramsey or at least guarded by him I'm not all that confident in Jalen Ramsey this year but you know for the Rams why not play spoiler here because there's no picks on the line it's not like a win changes anything no matter what, honestly, you're hurting the Lions if you win. So I think that the Rams might just go out there and bust bust their ass. And just like what I talked about with the Brown Steelers is you don't want to see your division rival do well. So why don't you just hop out there, kick some ass, and go home? Yeah, and and on top of that, you know the Rams—they were um, Super Bowl champions last year. They're five and one going into Week 18 of this year. You know they they've been poor, and it, it's really a good chance for the Rams. You know it's their last game of the season against a division rival. Why not? Why not go out with a bang and you yeah. know? Yeah. Anything hopes. else you want to talk about with any of these matchups? Um. 
Yeah, kind of something interesting. Uh, the first time that the Rams and Seahawks played each other, uh, John Wolford was the quarterback for the Rams last time, and they only lost by four points, uh, largely because the Seahawks had no run game. And with you know three running backs questionable going into this game, that's kind of what where I was going with with um, they need to have an awesome pass game to win again because that looks like it's going to be the same story. But Aaron Donald is doubtful as or doubtful as well. So. Just kind of some interesting. Yeah, things I, I in think game. Aaron Donald, um, his status is going to be very big for the outcome of this game. Obviously, Aaron Donald is an impact maker at, at all times that he's on the field, but when he's off the field, it gives quarterbacks at least another second to throw the ball. So, I, I think that you know, with Geno and, and how well he's done this season, and the receiving threat that they have with DK and Tyler Lockett. If Aaron Donald's out, I could definitely see Seattle just running it up. And now we get into Lions-Packers. Packers are a four-and-a-half-point favorite, over-unders at 49. And even though this isn't to win the division, this is a huge finish for the NFC North. I don't remember a time where it was actually this tight, especially between the two and the three. Typically, you know, it's top-heavy. The Packers are typically the number one, the Vikings two, and then much further down it goes lions and bears so um yeah it's interesting to see them in this position we don't see rogers in in a position like this fighting for a playoff spot very often yeah and and the bigger story though and and this is kind of taping taking a you know a little bit of a deeper look at this rivalry um it's no secret secret that aaron Rodgers has basically owned the three other teams in a this division, you know, throughout his career, but the Packers are in a very different situation this year. Aaron Rodgers doesn't look as good and the team is not, you know, playing well, or at least they weren't playing well. They're very hot right now, but I talked about it on the podcast before the lions with a win against the Packers on in Sunday night football or on Sunday night football this weekend, it could be huge for this division. I mean, we are looking at a whole era I believe that could be ended if the Lions win, and that's the Aaron Rodgers era. Yeah, I, I think that you know if this doesn't go the Packers' way, especially if the Lions like really run it up and the Packers just truly struggle, um, yeah, I could see some changes being made. And, and whether that's Rodgers or that's Matt Lafleur, look, Matt Lafleur, yeah, he's won you know eleven, twelve games in, in the past few seasons, but when you don't get any playoff success and you've got Aaron Rodgers at the helm. You know, sometimes you're to blame. Yeah, and, and it's not like it's, you know, only Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur, he has had some, you know, incredibly talented players uh, with the Packers in his era. And they, like you said, have no playoff success. Aaron Rodgers at the helm. They've had Devontae Adams for years now. They've had a defense that just keeps getting better every season. Um and yeah, I, I, that's kind of, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before too, is that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is in the hot seat right now, but you don't hear much about Matt LaFleur. And I think it should be kind of, I think the blame is honestly more on him and, and for the run game and how it's not helping out Aaron Rodgers. And yeah, Matt LaFleur d- definitely deserves to be in the hot seat a little bit more than Aaron Rodgers. And I definitely think he should be, you know, reconsidering his future if they yeah, lose. This I, I think so. And you know, what is on their side, like you said earlier, Rodgers has killed in his division for his entire career. And I honestly think he's primed to do it again. Look, he's 59-23-1 against NFC North opponents in his career. And 
that is the second highest passer rating uh, in, you know, division splits. Uh, him against the NFC North, he's got a 112.8 passer rating, and, and that's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, just being a division opponent and, and having Aaron Rodgers, it, it changes everything. And, and so I'm going to take the Packers in this one. I'm going to take the Packers too, but both teams are four and one in their last five. Both teams are coming off of scoring 40 against division rivals, which is kind of interesting as well. I don't know. I, I, I think the Packers definitely have way more momentum than the Lions. So I'm going to take the Packers, but I would not be surprised if the Lions end up winning this game. All too. right. We could go well, let's get into a little bit of NFL news. Um, the obvious thing to talk about here is DeMar Hamlin, and it appears that he's showing some signs of improvement. Uh, as of last night, um, doctors were able to lower the oxygen levels to 50% from 100, uh, according to Hamlin's uncle. And then uh, just a cool story I saw was uh, Rodney Thomas, uh, a rookie safety for the Colts, uh, is a high school friend of Hamlin's and made the 112-mile drive from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to see his friend DeMar um, and he said that it just it helped him out a lot with the situation, being able to just go there and see him and, and be with him at you know such a troubling time. I, I thought that was such a great story. Yeah, and uh, just what we had talked about earlier today, too, is uh, DeMar Hamlin, he, he can't speak yet, but he is able to write notes. And his first note or one of his first notes were did, or who won the game or something like that. And the doctors told him you won life. And wow, what a moment that, you know, he is seems to be rapidly getting better, um, you know, with the news that I've heard today. Yeah, which is just uh, so this nice is kind of, you know, the way that they put it in this article is that he's beginning to awaken uh, and he's showing substantial improvement. Um, uh, he was able to move hands and feet, uh, obviously not walking yet. Um, the, the doctors are still saying that he's critically ill and that significant process progress is needed. But. Uh, it appears that his neurological condition is still intact. Um, obviously, like I said, he can move his hands and feet. He wrote the note, um, and the doctors put it as not only the lights are on, but he's home. And and that's a great sign for DeMar and just his future, at least health-wise. Yeah, um, what a scary injury that was, and it's just so nice to hear him do well, and hopefully we can see him on the football field again because he has been absolutely amazing for Buffalo. You know, if, if you're a Buffalo fan, Micah Hyde gets hurt really early in the season, which is a huge blow to this team, but, you know, this guy out of pit, DeMar Hamlin, comes in and shows up and honestly is playing like he could take Micah Hyde's job, you know, with how hurt Micah Hyde's been in recent years, and just really sad yeah. the way that his season had to and, end. And uh, once again, uh, before we move on, our thoughts and prayers go out to DeMar's family, uh, DeMar, of course, and uh, anybody close to the situation. Um, let's get into something that's kind of happening as a result of this. The NFL is going to stay on schedule with Week 18. Um, there hasn't been a date set yet for Bills and Bengals to, I'd assume they'd resume from where they were. Um, I'm not sure they'd restart the game, but um, they are going to keep uh, all of week 18 uh, intact. It's going to follow schedule. And I think that that has a, a, a huge impact on what the Bills are playing for this week. Because obviously they're playing for seeding. Yeah, of course they are. 
they're they're twelve and three right now. They can move to thirteen and three, and then you know uh, a possible week nineteen is what we're looking at with the Bills Bengals game. But there's more to play for than just football. Uh, they're playing for Demar Hamlin. You know, now that they've received the news that you know he's getting better uh, and he's significantly improving, I think that you know this team, though they're probably not quite ready to get back out on a football field. I think that. You know, they know what they're playing for. And with DeMar, like, especially knowing that, you know, he broke that note and, and that, you know, all he wanted to know was who won the game. And, you know, that's what they're playing for. They're, they're playing to win. They want DeMar to know that they won a game for him. Yeah, uh, what a story that would be if they are able to come out on top against the Patriots. And, and that's just what it comes down to, you know. Like you said – First thing whenever he wakes up is he he wants to know you know what happened with his with his brothers his teammates did they win against the Bengals and it really says a lot about Demar and I I think the Bills need to need to go out and put you know show out for him all right well I did want to talk about this I don't know how familiar you are with Sam Howell but Sam Howell's getting the start for the Commanders and more than just you know Sam Howell getting the first start of his career is the questions just surrounding this Commanders franchise there's so much going on. Look, Heineke's healthy, Carson Wentz is healthy, and neither of them are starting this game. Your owner is all sorts of wrapped up in a bunch of legal bullshit, and I, I think at this point your coach is on the hot seat with the with the decisions he's making. So when I saw that Sam Howell was starting for the Commanders, it just seems like they're going down in a fiery crash. I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with you. I, I think if you're a Commanders fan, there is a lot to be positive about, actually. Of course, with the legal troubles of Dan Schneider, which we're not going to get into, he's probably fucked. And the front office of this organization is also probably fucked. Um, of course, we'll see how that develops in the you know next coming months or years. But you you said it yourself, Grayson. Sometimes all it takes for a team to kind of be kickstarted or, you know, whatever, just a fire under the ass is a breath, a breath, a breath of fresh air at quarterback. We've seen it from the Titans. We've seen it from the Jets, the Steelers and the Raiders this season. I, I like this move for the commanders. I, I am really excited to see how Sam Howell will play because quarterback does seem to be their one question mark. Um, Heineke can win games, but he doesn't look that good. Carson Wentz just really just doesn't look that good. I, I, like I think the Sam big Howell. problem for me with this is that Antonio Gibson's on the IR. So you've already, you're already down a running back. Brian Robinson's questionable. So the ball is truly going to be put in Sam Howell's hands, and he's going to have to dictate the outcome of this game. Obviously, it doesn't mean anything. They're out of the playoffs, but, you know, it's always nice to beat the Cowboys. And I, I just... I don't know. I don't think that I would be trusting a rookie quarterback that I, I don't believe has gotten a single snap this year to come out and make a difference. And, and like, yeah, it, it might show them something for the future, but you know, if he comes out and throws two picks and no touchdowns and has like under a hundred yards, like wh what did you learn from that? That is true, but also what did That's you fair. lose? From I, I I will I'll give you that. Yes, you you lose nothing by starting Sam Howell, except for the trust that even just the fans have in Ron Rivera's decision making. Because look, 
nobody wants to just sit around and lose games, especially when you're seven, eight, and one. Like you're not in contention for a top ten pick, and, and you're not really, you know, all that close to the like they were close to making the playoffs, but they they didn't. And so now it comes down to well, why did we keep making these quarterback changes throughout the year? That is very true, and and this is actually coming from somebody I I love Ron Rivera. I I think um, he's a really good head coach in my opinion. You know, he's already led the Panthers to a Super Bowl, didn't win it, but you know that that was really good coaching on his part. He's always been, you know, pretty decent. I, I will give him that. But to your point though, you know Heineke is healthy and Wentz is healthy, so why make this decision? I I don't know, but I I don't know. I I like this decision, but I definitely understand that. With two of the quarterbacks healthy that have played, it's just kind of like, I don't know, shooting yourself yeah. in the foot at this point. And then the last thing I want to talk about um, is just this whole Lamar Jackson situation. Like, what is going on with Lamar? And I'm not just talking about his injury. I'm talking about you know the playoffs. Like, what's going to happen there? What's going to happen with the contract? Is he going to resign? Are they going to franchise tag him? Like, I, I don't know what is going on with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of question marks, especially when you think about how good the Ravens' offense this season was with Lamar and how good the Ravens' defense has been without Lamar. This team could be a Super Bowl contender, depending on how um, contender, depending on uh, how Lamar you know comes back, because their defense has been rock solid. Their offense was good with Lamar, but there are just so many question marks surrounding him. I mean, who knows what will happen yeah, in the playoffs and, for Baltimore? You know, with this injury – Nobody really thought it was all that serious. He missed the what a, a couple of weeks, right? Uh, two or three, and now yeah. he's. We thought he was going to come back. Didn't practice today, so he's probably not going to come back. And we're just left with even more confusion. And, and I think that this all boils down to Lamar is, is probably just done. I, I think he's just done with this franchise. Yeah, it's a bold claim, but it's a valid claim. I mean, he's been given no receivers over his, um, you know, tenure with Baltimore. Uh, he's been hurt a lot. He, I mean, they have given him an awesome offensive line and like the perfect run game offense. I mean, the the entire offense is built around Lamar and the run game. And the Ravens, there has to be some urgency to bring him back because. It's kind of, in my opinion, the Ravens are so headstrong on how they're completely a one-dimensional offense is what I'm trying to say. If you don't sign Lamar, you're you're going to be an average yeah. at best. And if they team. don't sign Lamar, what do they do about quarterback? You know, they're in a position where they're not really going to have a great pick in the draft now They're because they're in the playoffs. And, you know, you put yourself in a position where, okay, so we lose Lamar Jackson. We can't draft, you know, probably one of the top three or four quarterbacks because you'll be in the 20s in the draft. And then you have to completely reinvent your offense because you're not going to find another Lamar Jackson in the offseason. Yeah, and with how deep the Ravens are in, in that kind of run-style offense is you could be looking at, at like a complete rebuild for a team that's already kind of a playoff contender. And, you know, the Ravens definitely don't want to go backwards, especially with all the young talent they have. So 
I feel like if you're, you know, in Baltimore's front office, bringing Lamar back is priority literally yeah, number I, one. I would have rather worse. lost 10 games this season and gotten Lamar back than, you know, make the playoffs and still run him out of town. Yeah, All right. I, I agree well, I think you. that'll do it for the news. And uh, let's talk about some NFL playoff picture. Obviously, we're entering the last week of the season. And, you know, some things are a little bit foggy with the Bills-Bengals game being uh, postponed. But, you know, the NFC, there is a a lot of question marks for that seventh seed. The the Seahawks hold it right now, but the Packers are a win-and-get-in situation. If the Packers win, the Seahawks are out, and... um, There's a few different situations that could happen uh, in the NFC where, um, so the Lions have to win, or yeah, so the Lions have to win against the Packers and the Seahawks have to lose or tie versus the Rams, or the Lions can tie the Packers and the Seahawks lose, or (laughs) tie the Packers and the Rams and Seahawks tie and the Commanders win versus the Cowboys and the Lions are in. It's a bunch of ridiculous stuff, but it all means that the Lions still can get in. And if they win, it helps them out a lot. But if they win, then the Seahawks have a much easier route to getting in. Yeah, and what a story it would be for the Seahawks to end up making it, you know, after being such a cold team um, past couple weeks. But Oh, uh, man, I, I hope it's the Packers for the sake of my childhood, man. I'm not ready for it to be over. Yeah, and, and like Rogers. we said earlier, we don't think it's going to be over. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of question marks there. And then when it comes to just seeding up at the top, there's a lot that could change. Uh, the Eagles and Giants face off this week, and the Giants have their spot locked up at six. But if I were the Giants, I don't really want to play the Eagles. I, you know, and if the 49ers and Vikings both win... Uh, I believe the Eagles could drop down to three, meaning that the Giants would have to square up with the Eagles in the first round. See, and and this is where Grayson and I actually disagree. If I am a, uh, if I am the Giants, I think the Eagles would be the team that I'd want to play the most. Just just because of how funky division rivals can get in the NFL, it's a it's a uh, opponent that you know well. Of course, that could be, you know, flip-flopped, and, and, you know, the Eagles know the Giants super well. But I, I don't know. I feel like you have more of a chance to uh, beat a better-than-you division team than a better-than-you But who's to say the Vikings are better team. than the Giants? That, that's a good point, but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, maybe if you're the Giants, you, you wouldn't mind seeing the Vikings in the playoffs with how, you know, wishy-washy they are, but I, I want the Eagles. All right. Well... There is a couple more things that could kind of flip around. Um, and, and I do think the Eagles would just win. Even if the Giants tried to win, the Eagles would just win. But, um, you know, if they do lose, the Cowboys uh, could win and take the one seed. The Niners could... There's there's a whole bunch of random stuff that could happen. But what we do know now, uh, the Buccaneers are locked in at four. Giants are locked in at six. And then that seven spots up for grabs. But let's talk a little bit about AFC because, you know, there's still four four teams really – there are actually five teams fighting for a spot. The Jags and the Titans are in their own individual battle. But uh, otherwise, the, the Patriots, Dolphins, and Steelers are fighting for that seven seed. And I <laughs> – 
I hope the Steelers get in there. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, it obviously could not happen, but as I've already said earlier, with the games that the Steelers have to rely on, I definitely think it's an opportunity. But I'm telling you, man, I am telling you, watch out for Baltimore if Lamar comes back and the defense keeps playing the way it is. That That is a dangerous, could be uh, 11 and 6 team or 10 and yeah, 7. Yeah, and, and right now playoffs. at 10 and 6. Uh, with the Bengals still not completing this game against the Bills, if the Ravens get the win this week and then the Bengals lose to the Bills whenever they play that game, the Ravens would win the division. Yeah, and, and that would just be a crazy kind of turnaround with how you know hot the Bengals have been lately, but Ravens have looked good too, and they haven't had their quarterback yeah. like that. And then, had. you know, we already talked about Jags Titans, and that one's going to be a shootout. But um, that one's that one's a win and in situation where, you know, the Steelers are in a tough spot. The, the Steelers need a, a win against the Browns, and then they need the Dolphins to lose and the Patriots to lose because they both have tiebreakers over them. Where, you know, I, I think that one of those two teams is going to win. Um, and it will most likely be the Dolphins, if either. Wow. Okay, so you're taking the yeah. Dolphins over the Jets. Dang. Okay. I I, I don't know. Both of those teams have been really cold, but I, I think the Dolphins, you know, after Tua, they, they've just been in shambles. So I, I think the Jets will win that game. But I, I like yeah, the I, I like. I don't see the Patriots winning uh, against this Bills team like we already talked about. The Bills have... Uh, much more to play for than anybody in the league right now. But, uh, yeah, I just I, I think the Dolphins will pull it out. Even if Skylar Thompson is playing, you know, you can throw to Tyreek Hill. He'll, he'll do something with it. <laughs> that is true. And with Jalen Waddle being questionable, it might yeah, have to be Tyreek Hill for the Dolphins. Yeah. Or Mike Gesicki. Get exactly. Mike Gesicki involved, you fucks, for once. Yeah, the, the top is most definitely not <laughs> locked up in the AFC either. Um. You know, the one seed is definitely up in the air. The Chiefs clinch with a win and the Bills uh, and a Bills loss um, or two Bills losses and the Bengals lose uh, a game. So and then the Bills need two wins or they need a win um, at or a win at the Bengals plus a, a Chiefs loss or a win versus the Patriots and the Chiefs and Bengals both lose. And then the Bengals also have a chance if they win both and the Chiefs lose a game. So it's tough. And, you know, it, it does suck for Kansas City that, you know, their seeding is up in arms and they're just going to have to wait in, until this Bengals Bills game is, you know, resumed. But, you know, at the same time, there, there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, I think the Chiefs understand that. So they're going to try and, you know, get a win against a, a, a weak Raiders team. And, um, you know, put themselves in the best position uh, to just sit around and wait for the outcome. I, I'm actually kind of excited for the Chiefs Raiders game. Raiders with uh, Jared Stidham at quarterback kind of took it to the 49ers defense. I, I'm actually really excited to see what the Raiders can do against the Chiefs. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, and you know what? The Raiders aren't all that bad. It, it's not like Jared Stidham is like the worst quarterback ever. It, it's just that we haven't seen him. So, um, you know, he can, if he repeats last week's performance, they've got a chance to win. But I, I really do think this Chiefs offense is just as good as it's been in the last couple of years, even without Tyreek Hill.
Yeah, no, the the Chiefs really haven't missed a beat, you know, with losing all the guys. Of course, they did bring in Juju, but of course, Juju's not Tyree Kill. But yeah, the Chiefs have been able to game plan all throughout the guys they've lost. They still look like a yeah. really awesome and, and offense. Shout out to the Chargers because they're 10 and 6 right now. And, and I don't think anybody thought that the Chargers would possibly ever get there because the Chargers love to just, you know, charger things up and, and just miss the playoffs and, and come in and like at the seven seed on the last day of the season. But, um, yeah, shout out to the Chargers because I think they're actually like a dark horse. They're they're a really good team. They've got a very solid offense, some stars on the defense that can make a difference, and you know they're one to look out for in the playoffs. They're they're gonna end up matching up with either the Jags or the Titans, and and I think that the Chargers have a good shot against either of those teams. Yeah, the the Chargers have definitely flipped a turn um, in their book. Of course, we talked about it on the podcast before. You know, at one point they had Philip Rivers, Keenan Allen, Eckler, uh, Melvin Gordon, and all of those guys on offense, but still couldn't make the playoffs. Now they're probably, arguably, even more loaded than they were before, and it seems like they are actually kind of, you know, uh, submitting themselves as a stable playoff, you know, contending team, unlike the years before. So yeah, yeah and, and one thing Chargers. that I didn't even think about. Um, when I was going over uh, the teams in the chase, is that the Jags still have a chance to make it in, even if they lose to the Titans. Um, uh, they would just need uh, Dolphins, Patriots, and Steelers to all lose, which is a possibility. Wow. Yeah, no, that that definitely is a possibility, and wow, would that shake things up, because the Titans would be in. Too, uh, yeah, right? so the Titans would be in at the four seed, and the Jags would go to the seven seed. Oh man, I I don't know the Titans. They're they're definitely a fun team, but I, I don't know. Not this season. They're they're just too boring. I I think the Jaguars, um, you know, making it into the playoffs, at, you know, possibly nine and eight, depending on how they play against the Titans. I don't think they'll go out first game. I I think the Jaguars can beat some of these teams that are you know two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah, so and, and we'll you know, you just said that the Titans are fun to watch. I wholeheartedly disagree because nobody likes watching short passes over the middle and just forcing the ball to the running back because like it's not like look Derrick Henry yeah he'll stiff arm a couple guys here and there he doesn't do anything like like it's not like he's going to be like out there hurtling people like Najee Harris like he's not all that like agile I guess is the word or acrobatic but you know he just runs and and he runs hard which is fun to watch. Yeah, broken tackles are fun to watch, but outside of Derrick Henry, there's nothing fun about watching this Titans team. Yeah, I, I that uh, let me go back on that. They, they've been pretty boring this year. Uh, in past years, I feel like they've been kind of entertaining to see, but yeah, this year they're they're not really you know that fun to watch at all. They're just kind of cool to see them make it. I, I have family who are Titans fans, so that's kind of where that comment came from, but they're awfully boring. Let's get into these NFL awards predictions. So uh, just to run it down, uh, we're going to be talking about defensive player of the year, uh, the best moment of the year, uh, defensive rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, offensive player of the year, comeback player of the year, coach of the year. And finally the MVP of the NFL season. Uh, Let's get it started with defensive player of the year. I want to hear what you have because before the recording, you told me that you weren't sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, it would have been obviously TJ Watt, you know, if he had a normal year this year, but he hasn't. He's been hurt again and, you know, honestly hasn't really looked that good since he came back from injury, in my opinion. I like, 
I like Micah Parsons Interesting. here, Grayson. Yeah, I, I think he's just been overly versatile for the Cowboys. He's definitely one of the best pass rushers in the league, but he's not just a pass rusher. As, as I've said, he's super athletic, really versatile, and he you know has proved it this season. I, I think it's Micah Hyde. Or Micah Parsons, my bad. All right, well, I've got one that uh, I think that, you know, at the moment, I think he's the consensus pick uh, this season. It's Nick Bosa. He's got 17 and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, 39 solo tackles. He's having an outstanding career, an outstanding season on an outstanding defense. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that's kind of hard to do, you know, is usually um, a lot of us like to think of defenses as a unit. You know, like that 2008 Steelers team had Palomalu, Harrison, AC Hampton, uh, all kinds of guys on it, just absolutely loaded. But Nick Bosa, who also plays on a stack defense this year, he's, you know, kind of clearly the standout guy over there, which is really hard to do because it's loaded with talent. I, I like him. For all the right. Player well, then I'm going to go ahead and give you my best moment of the year. Uh, and this one is definitely a little bit biased, but I thought this one was extremely fun to watch. And it was the Falcons win over the Panthers uh, in overtime. So PJ Walker throws a ridiculous touchdown pass to DJ Moore as time expires. DJ Moore catches the touchdown. It ties up the game and he pulls his helmet off. And so you're just, you're not allowed to do that. So yeah. <laughs> obviously the refs throw the flag and. <laughs> Because um, the penalty has to be placed on um, either the kickoff or the point after with, you know, not a kickoff coming up. It has to be put on the point after. It backs up the field goal. He misses the field goal. They go to overtime. And then Young Way Koo hits the game-winning field goal in overtime to beat the Panthers after, you know, it, they had pretty much just locked up the win. Yeah, what what a game that was. Uh, is it DJ yeah, Moore's fault? don't take your helmet off, idiot. <laughs> I, I knew a lot of people that were just saying that they should have just tried to win the game in overtime, you know, a little bit harder. But I also had people saying that it was DJ Moore's fault. I just wanted to get your opinion yeah, on it. Uh, don't break the rules, and, and then you could win. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to give – my best moment now, and I was laughing at you for saying that yours was biased because so Good. is mine. Imagine that. I like George Pickens' catch against the Cleveland Dude, that shit Browns lit up social media. Football. Yeah, I and obviously I, I think it was my first shift at the at the <laughs> that I worked at, and I didn't get to see the play live. But obviously, you know, as soon as I clicked on Instagram, that was like the first five posts that I saw, and I don't know, it was just cool to see, you know, that. The Steelers once again drafted well at wide receiver, and that catch was unfucking believable. Oh yeah, he's, got that he's dog in definitely him. got that dog in him. And you know, as a as a former dog, we saw him do that a lot at UGA, and just like just George Pickens in general, it's just a moment. He's just the best moment. Whenever he does anything cool, it is a cool moment because he's just like he's fiery man. He'll yell at whoever he wants. Mike Tomlin ain't shit to him. <laughs> no way. And it, it's just cool to, you know, see, um, like you said earlier, his his UGA self kind of come out onto the field in the NFL against, you know, a division rival in a game where he knew he needed to step up. And it's just cool to see it. Yeah, I just want to see NFL. him block somebody into a wall now. <laughs> 
Oh man, it might be against That's Cleveland true. this week. <laughs> Denzel Ward might uh might bring something out in George Pickens. I hope I hope Denzel Ward's not questionable because yeah, that'll that'll fire up GP. All right, I know it will. Let me hear your defensive rookie of the year. Um, so we talked about it a little bit before, and uh, oh, I picked Sauce Gardner. Yeah, that that I mean, it's okay. I did duh. too. I took Sauce Gardner. <laughs> of <as well>. course. <laughs> and the thing is, is you know, we talked about it before the podcast. Is for a cornerback, sometimes it's good to have like no stats to your name, and that's Sauce Gardner. You want to know why he has no stats? Because his coverage is too fucking good. He does he's not getting the ball thrown at him at all? And and the fact that he's been able to shadow. Other, you know, amazing wide receivers around the NFL. I mean, the NFL's loaded, you know, with wide receivers. Of course it's going to be loaded. There there are players on every team that are amazing, and Sauce Gardner has been able to lock down almost anyone he's played yeah, against. It's like been amazing. Yeah, 20 passes defended, two interceptions, and, and he's got 69 total tackles. Nice. Um, on the season. But, yeah, like you said, people fear him 100%. And nobody – Nobody wants to throw at him, and that's why he's the best. Look, you could say that Tariq Woolen has you know better stats. You could say that uh, Brisker from the Bears has better stats. But what it comes down to is that you're not going to have stats when they don't throw the ball at you because they're scared of you. You're a rookie. Look, he hasn't even played his 17th game in the, in the league yet, and people already don't want to throw at him. We talked about it in our rookie list. The game against the Lions, they didn't throw at him once. Like, he is a force to be reckoned yeah. with. And, and you know, in my lifetime, that just doesn't happen with rookie corners. Listen, listen like, I, I would argue that cornerback is one of the hardest positions in football. You're covering probably the most athletic guy on the other team. 6'4", 240, can run a 4-4, right? Just crazy athletes. You don't know what route they're running unless you've game-planned well. And, and the fact that a rookie uh, cornerback has been this effective in the NFL, it, it absolutely blows my mind. So, of course, he's going to be my defensive yeah, rookie like, of the year. When you're getting targeted less than, like, Jalen Ramsey and, and, you know, Darius Slay, like, top corners in the league, there's something to be said about that. All right. Sure. I'm going to go ahead and give you my Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I, I feel like you probably could have predicted I was going to say this. It's Garrett Wilson. Oh, yeah. I do. You I like, like Garrett Wilson. He was he was my rookie that I decided to draft fantasy football, so I've been following him pretty closely. And I think what differentiates him from some of the other rookies is that you know he did it for a whole season. And, you know, a couple of his last performances weren't great, especially this last game against the Seahawks. He was 11 targets, three receptions, 18 yards. But it's about what happened before that. Look, against Detroit, nine or four receptions, 98 yards, eight receptions, 162 against the Vikings, six receptions, 115 against New England, and numerous other great performances put him over 1,000 receiving yards on the season. And that's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I I like the Garrett Wilson pick. Of course, he he was a little bit lower than mine, or, or lower on my rookie list than yours. So, I definitely am not buying the hype like you are. But I mean, he's definitely he he's one of the players that would deserve this award. I will admit that. And just on top of that, that was with three different quarterbacks. Yeah, I, that's impressive too. 
know, for wide receivers, it's good to get used to one guy. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, Marvin Harrison, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown. Like, you know, what makes receivers and quarterbacks are the relationships that you build with one another. And it's hard for receivers to do well when you have, you know, a team that's under a lot of quarterback turmoil. And Garrett Wilson, you know, on top of being a rookie, has been able to persevere through that. And that's impressive. All right, Luke, what you got for me at Offensive Player of the Year or Rookie of the Year? Kenneth Walker is my Offensive Rookie of the Year. I, I love this guy. I, I think he is the reason that the Seahawks are as good as they are now, on top of the fact that Geno, you know, also looks good and Tariq Woolen and all those other guys. But Kenneth Walker, look, Chris Carson goes down. You need a guy to step up. Kenneth Walker does it beautifully. Um, he's almost at 1,000 yards for the season. I don't know if he'll get it because he is questionable going into his Week 18 matchup. He averages almost half of a first down per carry. He's got nine touchdowns. I, I love this guy. I mean, he's been absolutely amazing for this team, and he's a receiving yeah. threat as well. Um, I think we'll see Kenneth Walker, you know. I think he's really good, especially, you know, from, like, rookie running back standards. But I feel like his impact isn't what's being seen for this team. I think what most people care about is Geno Smith and his impact on this team. Obviously, Kenneth Walker has been phenomenal. Look, he's put up over 100, and 100 yards four times this season. That's super impressive, you know, over 85 times. It's a ridiculously good season. I just think that there's guys that have made bigger impacts for their team. And obviously, Kenneth Walker has made a huge impact. I just think that Garrett Wilson means more to his franchise than Kenneth Walker. That's fair. That's fair. Let, let me get your offensive All player right. of the year. I, I feel like I had to do this, and, and it's Jay Jettas. How could you not go with Justin Jefferson? Like, yeah, a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, the quarterback should always be the offensive player of the year, but that's not the case because, you know, his quarterback wouldn't have been anything without him this year. The man had he, – he's, yeah. oh, he's probably going to be at, like – 1850 on the season after this next game. He's at 1771. He's got 124 receptions, eight touchdowns. The man is just ridiculous, and there's no stopping him. Yeah, um, and we've seen it time and time again, is that defenses literally cannot game plan to do anything about this guy. Um, he performs no matter what the circumstance is. And it's been so much yeah. fun to watch. And just to let y'all know, he's only 23 years old, about to turn 24 in a couple of weeks, but he's 23 years old and he's already had three seasons with 1,400 plus yards. Yeah, I mean, you're you're watching the Jerry Rice of our generation and that's oh, not a no, take. No, this is the guy. And it's even scarier that, you know, he's got plenty more years in the tank. Oh, for sure. And the Vikings have plenty more years to get someone better throwing him the ball. I mean, I like Kirk Cousins, but we we both know that they could have yeah. better. <laughs> All right, my offensive player of the year. Uh, I, I have two guys written down. I like Patrick Mahomes or Christian McCaffrey here. Both of these guys have been amazing, especially Patrick Mahomes, considering the fact that he lost Tyreek Hill. He's still been able, able to perform, you know, very well. 
And then on the, you know, side of Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, he had to get traded um, at the, you know, kind of mid-season mark. He's playing on a completely different team, and he's putting up the same numbers. It, it was really amazing to watch. That's – I was not expecting Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I, I, I like the McCaffrey pick. He, he's he been ridiculous in the receiving game, too. I mean, unbelievable. Andy, I'm pretty sure what, – what was the game where he rushed through – and caught it. Yes, he, that was a, a phenomenal edition. one. I'll give him that. But yeah. he's ranked 34th in rushing yards. He's tied for 33rd in attempts, and he's tied for 20th in rushing touchdowns. I, I just, I, I don't think that he stands out across the board for this award. And yeah, the stats definitely. Never lie, but just from what I've seen from him, I think he's been uber effective, and I think he's a big reason why the uh, 49ers, you know, on top of their defense, are as good as they are this year. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, you can can you can attribute their offensive success, um, a, a lot of it at least, especially in the last couple of weeks, to Christian McCaffrey's performances, because of course he's going to make an impact. He's an amazing player, and like you said, his receiving game is what differentiates himself. Look, yeah, I'll give him this. Over 1,800 all-purpose yards is fantastic. But I I just, I I don't see him, you know, not even being a a, a top guy statistics-wise at his position this season is what's going to hinder his opportunities at winning any awards. That's fair, that's fair. Let me get your comeback player of the year, Mr. Grace. I feel like there was nobody else to take than Geno Smith. The dude was, what, he was out of the league for like six, or not out of the league, but, you know, not a starter for like the last six years and just miraculously wins the job over Drew Locke and plays every game this season and just absolutely lights it up. Yeah, uh, I mean... Going into this season, you know, kind of with the with the Drew Locke trade um, early on for the Seahawks, is I I kind of thought the Seahawks were going to be done this year. I, I really did. I, I thought they would probably be one of the worst teams in the NFL. But you know, and you can attribute some of it to Kenneth Walker, but majority of it goes to Geno Smith. His play are the reason why the Seahawks are in the position they are in now to potentially play a playoff game. It's all it's all because of Geno Smith, and you know what a story. I remember. You know, watching his draft night, him come out of West Virginia uh, with the Jets, and I, I was so excited that he got drafted. I really liked him in college. And then he disappeared. <laughs> and it's just good to see him finally come back and, you know, play well. He, he's had to persevere through a lot of, you know, different teams and changes, and it's glad that all the hard work is finally paying off. Yeah, it's such a great story with Geno Smith. Like, he was an undeniable talent coming out of – college and you know when he got to the Jets it was someone that we thought had a chance and you know he bounced around a little bit and maybe he's found his home in Seattle I think he has uh, I'm kind of interested to see on what the Seahawks do or do to maybe like extend him you know do you, do you think he could be getting a pretty nice paycheck soon I think he could I don't think they see him as like a long-term solution but you know in the meantime draft a quarterback in the next couple of years and just let Geno Smith start in the meantime yeah I I like that idea he's proven to be serviceable and 
he's proven that he can he can win games and play really well. Yeah, and um, I do want to hear you know I'm assuming you're taking Gino as well for comeback player of the year. I'm oh, actually not. okay. Well, then let me hear it. My my guy is probably number two. Uh, of course, the only reason that I'm really kind of arguing this one is because you already picked Gino. I want to offer some, you know, other points to this podcast. I'm going Christian McCaffrey. Um, dude's been hurt. It feels like his entire fucking career, um, let's be honest. And I don't know. I feel like with this season, you know, he came back with the Panthers. And, of course, he wasn't playing too well, as the stats, you know, kind of point out. But he was still effective. He's still a big part of their offense. And then he gets traded to the 49ers and has you know been lighting it up over there and i i like christian mccaffrey as my play, uh my comeback player of the year i like it uh, it makes sense you know he has spent extended stints out um uh, on the injured list and yeah you're right he has had a fantastic season for somebody coming back from that and um yeah i don't uh, i don't see anybody taking it over gino honestly i i think gino just has the best case for it just because of the time he's spent away and, you know, how well he has performed. Like you talked about earlier, he's over 4,000 yards on the season. He's fourth in touchdown passes. Like, this is a phenomenal season for Geno Smith. Yeah, I, I, I agree. All right. Well, let's hear your coach of the year, Luke. I'm interested to know, uh, you know, what, what do you think constitutes a coach of the year and who's your guy? I, I kind of went out on a limb on this one, I feel like, but I've really enjoyed this guy's press conferences. He seems like he has the complete right mindset for his football team. That's Brian Dabble of the New York Giants. I really like him for coach of the year. I feel like he's kind of been a lot of the reason that this team has kind of turned around their mentality and they're, you know, they're, they're playing like they're a team that belongs in the playoffs, in my opinion, and that's all to him. Yeah, I, I think Brian Dabble is an amazing choice um when it comes to the coach of the year it's tough to you know decide what warrants a coach of the year is it a guy that you know steps in first year and and really changes things immediately or is it a guy that just wins football games and brian dable did a good job at both of those this year and yeah I, i really like dable um he's a great offensive mind it seems like he's bringing out the best in daniel jones which we haven't seen from the other coaches that he's had and um yeah dable is an amazing choice yeah i i don't know i just feel like um even more so than the giants record i feel like dable um he's definitely shifted the team's mentality kind of like uh campbell in detroit is you can tell that they're not being coached like a O and 17 football team anymore they're they're a winning mentality. There is a winning mentality being built, and it's attributed to Brian Dabble in New York. All right. Well, I'll give you my coach of the year. It's Nick Sirianni. It, it's tough to say it's oh, not wow. with how good the Eagles have been. Look, they were nine and eight last year. They made the playoffs, but this is a whole different team this year. Like, you start off the season eight and zero, a tough loss to the Commanders, but after that, you ride the momentum and you win five more straight. I honestly think they probably would have won out if they didn't lose Hurts after the Bears game. But, yeah, this team has been undeniably good. Yeah, there, there is no denying that, that Philly has been 
one of the best teams in the NFL this year, if not the best team. And, and it's a huge step up this season from uh, last season. You could definitely tell for Philly last season, it was all about probably developing Hurts, in my opinion. And Sirianni's done an amazing job doing that because look at Hurts now. It, and not to mention the offseason um, you know, transactions that he brought in with A.J. Brown. I mean – are you kidding me? This guy has done a lot for this football team and he has, you know, made them probably they're, they're going to be a good team for a long time. With yeah. Sirianni. And then like adding Jordan Davis in the draft, he's been uh, a huge impact in run in the uh, run defense, uh, though he was out for a couple of weeks. And then Nicobe Dean was another great draft pickup out of Georgia as well. He hasn't had much of an impact with how well their linebackers have played. But he's a guy that will help out in the future, I believe. And you know what? The NFC East, man, the NFC beast, you might call it, it's a tough division to play in, man. I, I think they're one of the hardest divisions to play in, especially this season. Look, Philly's 12 or 13 and 3, Dallas is 12 and 4, the Giants are 9 and 6, and the Commanders are 7 and 8 and or 7, 8, and 1. And look, they still had a good season. Yeah, and, and on top of that is the the NFC East division. It, it's not just any kind of division where they're thrown together. These teams have history, and they absolutely hate each other. On top of the fact that all of them are pretty decent this year, some of them are probably the best team in their conference. But it all comes down to Sirianni and how he's you know planned for them to be a tough contender in this division, and that's exactly what they've done. All right. Well, it's time for the MVP. And I want to hear yours first, bro, or, uh, Luke. I like Justin Jefferson, <laughs> obviously. I mean, ever since Antonio Brown had uh, his run either in 2017 or 18, I can't remember, of, you know, it looked like he could be a wide receiver that could win uh, MVP. It, it's Justin Jefferson this year, man. It, he's been obviously, in my opinion, the best player in the NFL. He puts up points no matter who he's playing against. He's going to get targets. He's a huge part of their offense. He's only 23 on top of all the stats that you brought up, you know, about him earlier um, with your offensive player of the year pick. Justin Jefferson's my most valuable player. I like it. Yeah. Like I said, he was my offensive player of the year, but I think the MVP has become a quarterback award and it, and it, it has been, and I think it's going to stay that way. Uh, I've got Joe Burrow winning it. And most people would say Mahomes, some people say Hurts, but I think Joe Burrow's the MVP. Look, they're coming off of a, a Super Bowl loss, and they've brought it back, and, and they're running it back this year. Like, look, they started off tough. The, the first two games are losses, but then you lose two, you lose, or sorry, you win two, lose one, win two, lose one, and then you've won out from there. And... It feels like Burrow's just gotten better. He he's fifth in passing yards at forty two sixty. He's second in passing touchdowns. He's limited the interceptions to twelve. And yeah, of course there's still problems with the offensive line. But you know, in the past five games, he's only gotten sacked two times. Uh, or sorry, he's gotten sacked a total of eight times, seven times, seven times. I can't add. Um. And that's phenomenal because that's the amount of times the Steelers sacked him in week one. So if the offensive line can keep limiting the sacks, I think that Joe Burrow will just continue to play well and possibly lead this team back to the Super Bowl. I 
I like the argument that you've made for Burrow here, but I don't think he has 12 picks this year, which is a lot in my opinion. I think Burrow to be an MVP, um, he would need a more consistent, you know, kind of season as well. As you pointed out, he wasn't that good in the beginning. I don't know. I that is a pretty hot take in my opinion. Mr. Well, you Grayson. said that twelve picks is a lot, and, and that ties him for twenty fifth in the league. Oh wow! It's an interception year. Trust so, me. Yeah, that is true. But yeah, no doubt Burrow's been great um, in the second half of the season. But I feel like as far as like our picks versus each other, Justin Jefferson has just been more consistent throughout the season than Burrow. But. I mean, Burrow definitely has played well, for sure. I don't think you could say that Burrow's really been inconsistent, though. He's only had one game that, like, was really a flop, that, like, he truly didn't play well, and and that was week one uh, against the Steelers. And that was really just the turnovers. But outside of that, like, he's consistently putting up 250-plus. He's got a few, like, he had 481 yards against the Falcons. He had multiple 300-yard games, and I think that his leadership on this team is the difference maker because it's not like they have to have games where they rely on the run game or like he has to kind of take a step back. No, he takes over the game and wins these games for this team. I will give it give that to him as he, you know, with Joe Mixon kind of having a little bit of an off year or really kind of the whole offensive run game for the Bengals having an off year. He, he's definitely stepped up and played, you know, like a top three quarterback in the league. Just not my MVP. All right. So I guess that'll round it out for all of our NFL awards. So just to run it down back through the list, um, our defensive player of the years, I had Nick Bosa. Uh, I had Micah Parsons. And then our best moment of the year was mine was the Falcons win uh, off of the young way winning field goal in overtime. George Pickens sunning Cleveland on Thursday night primetime. Uh, my defensive rookie of the year was Sauce Gardner. Yeah, we, we both had Sauce. <laughs> uh, offensive rookie of the year, I had Garrett Wilson. I had Kenneth Walker. Offensive player of the year, I had Justin Jefferson. Mine was either, well, actually, I'll change it from earlier. I'll just go straight up Patrick Mahomes. All right, and then comeback player of the year, I had Geno Smith. I had Mr. McCaffrey. And then coach of the year, I had Nick Sirianni. Ryan Dabble for me. And MVP, I had Joe Burrow. I had Mr. Jettas, gritty man. All right, well, let's talk about some Premier League games. And, um... I went to go take notes and I hadn't really paid attention to any of the results from the week and thought that all the games would be on the weekend. Well, they aren't. Uh, they all played throughout the week. So we're just going to run through a couple of them. Uh, actually, we're going to run through all of them. Um, so we'll start it off Monday. Uh, Brentford played Liverpool and Brentford won 3-1. And this is Brentford's first win over Liverpool since, listen, since 1938. Yeah, we remember that one. Oh, we? yeah, totally. I totally remember that one. Uh, all those great players on those teams. <laughs> yeah, uh, really surprising game here. Cool to see Brentford win. Of course, you know, Chelsea fans speaking here. You know, I love it when Liverpool loses. But it, it was just one of those typical games where Liverpool kind of seemed like they dominated. They actually had less shots, but they dominated the ball. But it, it just kind of comes down to who was more clinical in front of goal, and that was Brentford. Yeah, and um, Ibrahima Kanate conceding an own goal in the 19th minute. I think that just kills your momentum for the rest of the game. 
Yeah, uh, those early own goals are, you know, kind of underrated, in my opinion, of how crushing they can be to a team, and it crushed Liverpool here. Yeah, and, and I want to shine a little light on uh, Brian Mbemo. I think that's how you say it, Mbemo, the, the midfielder. Uh, he had a goal in this one, uh, two key passes, a 45.5% completion, or pass completion. Uh, that's a solid game, uh, and uh, yeah, I think he deserved the man of the match in this one. Yeah, uh, he definitely showed out against a really good Liverpool team, so I like it. All right. Let's get into, let's see, the next one. Arsenal uh, drew against Newcastle, nil-nil. Uh, not an eventful one, um, but, you know, this is two top teams um, this season facing off, and, you know, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I can't believe there wasn't a, at least one goal in this game, though. But just like you said, you know, Newcastle, what a season they are having. And Arsenal, also what a season they're having being top of the league. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that Arsenal dominated the game like they did, but, you know, didn't have any goals to show for it. And I, I kind of feel like that's very fitting with how this game was. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, what it came down to uh, between both of these teams was accuracy. 17 shots, four on goal for Arsenal, and eight shots, one on goal for Newcastle. You know, you're not going to win that way. No, and uh, Newcastle, uh, Kieran Trippier was actually the uh, man of the match, which I thought was kind of funny. Defenders are never man of the match anymore. That's true. I guess that's what you get in a nil-nil draw. Yeah, man, <laughs> defense. Defense. All right, well, let's talk about Man U. Uh, they beat Bournemouth 3-0. And uh, goals coming from Casemiro, Luke Shaw, and Marcus Rashford. Um, Luke Shaw won the man of the match in this one, so we just talked about defenders never winning it. That's two straight. Oh, making me look like an idiot right now. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I really want to highlight um, something that we talked about previously is uh, Christian Eriksen, Grayson. He got another assist today. Uh, I want to say he's the uh, le uh, assist leader at Manchester United, which is just so nice to see, you know, especially with that scary World Cup injury, or was it a Euro injury? Uh, Euro or World Cup? The scary Euro injury, um, where you know we thought that he might never play, let alone at the top level. Still, uh, very cool to see. Yeah, and, and I think this was just kind of a matter of Man U just taking advantage of a pretty weak Bournemouth squad. Yeah, I, I agree. Manchester United, you know, unlike in the NFL and in American sports, where in my opinion, at least, turmoil among players can affect how games go. And, I don't know, it kind of goes to show, I think, with how well Manchester United are playing after the whole Ronaldo controversy is that the whole team was kind of fed up with him probably for a long time, and they haven't wavered since he left. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, the impact is obvious, but, um, you know, regardless, Man U's looked really good. Um, you know, it's not a horrible season this year, surprisingly. You know, they're in fourth right now. Uh, they've got a, a good chance to just keep moving up, but they've only got two points on uh, Tottenham, so they're going to have to keep it up, and we've got a Manchester Derby coming up next week. Oh, man, we we will definitely be covering that one. Can't wait. All right. Well, let's talk about Brighton beating Everton. Uh, at Goodison Park, Brighton just lit it up. Uh four goals or three of the goals coming between the 51st minute and the 57th minute. And then Everton just barely getting one on the board in injury time, uh, in the 90th plus two on a penalty kick. 
Yeah, and I, I think with the story, um, the story with Everton, Grayson, uh, we kind of touched on it on the last podcast, is Everton, obviously, you know, they, they're not where they should be right now. I want to say they're, like, in the bottom half of the um, the table. I want to say maybe even, like, the bottom top three, they're, if that yeah, makes sense, the bottom three. Of the they're league. in the relegation zone right now. Yeah, which is kind of unbelievable to hear, you know, as a Premier League fan that Everton is this bad, but and this game just kind of proves it. You have Brighton, who are looking really good this season. You know, they definitely have a future, I think, in the Premier League for sure. And they're just running riot on Everton. It, it's just that simple. Is Although Everton may still be a good team with good players, they're they're just not playing like it at all this year. Yeah, and you got to give some, some uh, shout-outs to Brighton's lineup. They've played really well. Robert Sanchez has been a solid keeper. Lewis Dunk, the captain, has been locked down in the back. And then... You know, the midfield it, it put up three of the goals today. Or, sorry, uh, put up three of the goals in this match. And it, the midfield has been the difference maker this whole season for them. Yeah, uh, they're the reason that they are, I want to say, where are they at? They're at eighth now. Wow. Brighton is really looking good this year. That's so awesome to see. Yeah. And then, you know, another team that's surprisingly pretty high up on the table is Fulham. They got a win over Leicester City, 1-0. And, you know, that is a, a huge win for Fulham. They just continue to win games. And some of it off the back of the man of the match in this one, Alexander Mitrovic. What an underrated, consistent player he has been throughout his entire career. Uh, Mitrovic is, he is such a world-class player, <laughs> in my opinion. No one really talks about him a lot, but he's always been consistent no matter where he's played. And he was the difference maker for Fulham in this one. Yeah, and Fulham just overall played really well throughout this match. Um, they, they didn't have the possession, but I, I think that the difference here was um, just the midfield play again. We, we've talked about it a lot. You know, the midfield keeps the pace of the entire game because they cover everything. They're, they're everywhere, wherever you need them, and these guys did a great job. Yeah, and as a former soccer player myself, I, I would argue that the midfield is obviously the most important part of a soccer team. They play both the offense and defense and also control the pace of the game. If the midfield wins, your team wins. Also, shout out to Fulham because Tim Reams, their captain, and he's American, so I just have to favor them. <laughs> I like it. All right, so let's get into uh, some of the results from Wednesday. Uh, we'll start out Spurs beat Crystal Palace 4-0. Harry Kane has 2 Matt Doherty puts one on, and uh, Huangman Son uh, in the 72nd minute as well. Yeah, and I, this is just kind of one of those simple cases of a you know a really good team plays against a really bad team. And Crystal Palace, they are 12th place, so middle of the table. They're not awful, but Tottenham, Tottenham have been okay this year, and you know they really showed out here. Uh, Tottenham is in fifth place right now. And, you know, this was kind of a statement win. You know, all your players are back from the World Cup, and it's time to show off what you can really do with the full team. Yeah, I, I think what Palace is missing this season is just goal-scoring ability. Um, they, they don't have a lot of guys on this team that, you know, are pure scorers, and that contributes to their 17 goals for, which is uh, by far one of the worst um, in the league. Yeah. Palace and, you know, unfortunately, teams like Chelsea are under the list of uh, teams that uh, have less goals than Erling Holland this year. So shout out to Crystal Palace for having less goals than Erling Holland. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it honestly, that's quite the feat. 
It really is. <laughs> All right. So now we'll get into uh, Wolves and Villa. Uh, they draw 1 1. And uh, goals coming from Danny Ings and Daniel Podence. Um, this is a. These are two teams that are surprisingly good. Yeah. Um, Wolves, obviously, they're they're in 19th place right now. But as Grace and I have mentioned, it's kind of strange because they're kind of like Everton in the sense where I would say they even have more of a loaded lineup than Everton does. But it's weird to see where Wolves are at right now. And I honestly can't really see it changing. I mean, Villa Villa is an okay team. And with the roster that Wolverhampton has, they really should have won this game, in my opinion. But Aston Villa are just they're just in better form. Yeah. Also, just something ridiculous about Wolves is just how many Portuguese players are on that team. Yeah. They've got yeah, they're, Jose Saw in goal, Nelson Semedo in the defense. They've got Ruben Neves, Podence, Nunes, Martinho, all in the midfield. And then on the bench, they've also got Totti and Gonzalo Guedes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge, you know, a, a team with chemistry. And, you know, you'd expect them to play better. They have some solid players. It's just not working. Yeah, Wolverhampton definitely likes those green links. Shout out to all my ultimate team players out there. <laughs> and I did you miss uh, Rui Patricio? Uh, hey, does I, he still play for Wolverhampton? He might. Uh, he just wasn't on their uh, active roster today or uh, in this match. Gotcha. Well, he he's a Portuguese goalie. He is Portugal's goalie, and I know he's always played for uh, Wolves. So maybe maybe he's transferred. I don't know. Also, Diego Costa is their striker, which I didn't realize. That's horrible. <laughs> you don't like Diego Costa? Not anymore. Ah oh, man, he. When he played for Chelsea, that was one of my favorite players. I was so happy that we had him. He's a he's a cunt though. He, he's a cunt. Yeah, there's no better word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. All right, let's talk about um, Nottingham Forest. They get the win over Southampton one zero, and uh, it comes off an early uh, early goal from Taiwo Wanyi, and it, it kind of seemed like a boring match. Um, not a whole lot going on. Not a lot of shots. Southampton didn't have a single shot on target. Yeah, and, and it just kind of comes down to, you know, you can have all the possession in the world. Of course, I have always loved the possession stat as a soccer player, but, you know, Southampton proves that it means nothing if you don't score. You know, 62.5 possession to 37.5 is nice and all, but if you're not scoring, then what does having the ball even matter? And, you know, Nottingham Forest was just more clinical in front of Golden than uh, Southampton was. Yeah, and they weren't that much more clinical. Um, you know, eight shots for Southampton, zero on target. Nottingham Forest, 11 shots, one on target. It just happened to go in. So um, they're, they're lucky to pull this one out. But these are two, you know, bottom-of-the-table teams. And um, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, who gets relegated this year because there is some teams that – are kind of surprisingly playing well right now that I could see dropping down. I, I, I like that take because Everton Wolves and, and honestly Southampton, in my opinion, they, they have decent lineups. I, I would say they have better lineups than a couple of the teams that are, you know, in like the 15th, 16th, 17th spot. But here we are, you know, 18th, 19th, and 20th is Everton Wolves and Southampton. I, I definitely think... Uh, Honestly, hot take incoming. Uh-oh, motherfuckers. I could totally see a flip of 15 through 17 and 18 through 20 at the end of the season. I don't think Everton, Wol Everton Wolves, or Southampton are going to get relegated this year. 
I think I could see Palace dropping down there. Yeah, I, I like that take for sure. All right, let's get into this next one. Uh, Leeds draw with uh, West Ham. And this was actually a solid game. It was 2-2. Um, goals coming from Wilfred. I want to say it's Nanto. Nanto. And uh, Rodrigo for Leeds. And then for uh, West Ham, you've got Lucas Paqueta putting in a uh, penalty uh, right before the half. And then just after the half, uh, Gianlu- uh, Gianluca. Gianluca. <laughs> Skamaka. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. I can't. Like it. I can't do with these international names. They're tough. <laughs> Why can't y'all all have like Smith as your last name? <laughs> uh, my uh, my one highlight from this game is uh, I we I talked about him on the uh, on the podcast last week is Rodrigo again scoring. He's been around. It feels like my entire life. Obviously, spending most of his career in La Liga. I want to say and here he is in the Premier League. You know, kind of doing the same thing, and he gets a goal here. And I just wanted to point out, uh, Jack Harrison assisted that goal to Rodrigo, which is kind of nice to see. Jack Harrison, I think we could see him working his way into the England lineup in you know, maybe a couple of years. But, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that it's cool to see Rodrigo still scoring. Yeah, and these are two teams that also, they're kind of, it's surprising where both of them are. Leeds is, you know, inching towards uh, the top of the table at 14th, but then West Ham is at 17th. And... I feel like West Ham should be playing better. Yeah, um, with their lineup, they they definitely should be playing better. I agree. Yeah, I think that it's just some some weak attacking play. But, you know, the midfielders are great for West Ham. Lucas Paqueta, uh, Tomas Susek, and Declan Rice. Like, these are three solid players, uh, all guys that you know can make an impact. But when you don't get much goal scoring from the front, it's not going to work out for you. Oh, and that showed for West Ham today against Leeds. Or Wednesday, I should say. Sorry. All right. And then the last one to talk about, the match that ended uh, just a couple hours ago, Chelsea, Man City. Man City takes it 1-0 off of a goal in the 63rd from Riyad Mahrez. Luke, I just want to get your your thoughts as a Chelsea fan. Uh, Chelsea continues to suffer this year. And obviously a lot of it's due to injury, but how good Chelsea should be, you know, and how Chelsea's our, our fans, our standards as fans, sorry, can't talk today, are, are much higher than what they are, you know, regardless of the injury. We need to be competing against teams like this, which we did compete against Manchester City today, but it's just a reoccurring theme for Chelsea this year. No goals, and it's been very frustrating to be a part of and watch. Yeah, and then Kevin De Bruyne takes home uh, man of the match from this one, and you know, the biggest thing I'm seeing on his stats here is pass completion percentage of 87.2. That is phenomenal. Yeah, um, and I actually just wanted to bring up the uh, the Chelsea uh, injury list going into this game. N'Golo Conte, out. Reese James, out. Eduard Mendy, out. Wesley Fofana, out. Armando Broja, out. Mason Mount, out. Raheem Sterling, out. And Christian Pulisic all did not play against Manchester City. So... Chelsea definitely going through it, you know, injury-wise, but like you said, I mean, Chelsea just need to get it done offensively. We need to score more goals. Were you happy that uh, Aubameyang didn't start? Yes. Anybody but Aubameyang. I'm also happy that Holland didn't score. I mean, that's kind of a win in my book. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) like I said earlier, it's a loss for everyone else. We all want to see Holland score. 
<laughs> that is true. Just not against Chelsea. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah, that that wraps everything up for the Premier League. I didn't even think about it. So let's run through the table real quick. Uh we'll we'll go top to bottom. Arsenal uh bolster their lead uh at 1. They're now sitting at 44 points. Um they are in a tough spot. Um they've got some tough matches coming up. They've got Tottenham and then uh a week later Arsenal and Man U and then Everton, uh, Brentford, and then Man City coming up. And, you know, those next five are going to be pretty tough, you know, outside of maybe Everton. But if they want to defend this first place spot, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, uh, the teams are going to be hungry for Arsenal. And I'll just go ahead and say this. I Arsenal have been obviously playing extremely well this year, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think one of these teams will catch them. And I think obviously it'll be Manchester city. If, if they keep scoring and, you know, winning, <laughs> I think that Manchester city will eventually catch Arsenal. I think their, their luck will run out. All right. So then at three, we've got Newcastle, another team that's kind of on the heels and at 35 points, they're definitely in range. They're in range for, you know, jumping up. Yeah, and I would love to see it happen. Uh, Newcastle, I just wanted to highlight, has only lost one game this year. They've just tied eight times, which is unbelievable. And, you know, with me being an Atlanta United fan, I haven't forgot about the little Paraguayan who changed our team forever, Miguel Almiron. It's so awesome to see him be completely the best player of this Newcastle team and the reason that they're in third place. I love to see them do well. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, there's a couple of other guys that are making a huge impact. Nick Pope, 10 clean sheets and 18 appearances this season is phenomenal, and I think that is um, a testament to their one loss. It, it It's up to Nick Pope. Sure. All right, so then the next team down on the table, we got Man U at four, and um, I got a feeling they're probably going to lose uh, the Manchester Derby coming up next weekend, but... They still look good, especially with all of the Cristiano Ronaldo problems that they had before the World Cup break. You know, he's off their hands now. And I, I think that that will be, you know, we talk about it all the time. It's a breath of fresh air when you get such a problem out of your way. Yeah, and now the team can finally move on and just focus on, you know, getting a UCL spot this year. Or, you know, it's it's early, maybe even winning the Premier League. Who knows? Um, I just wanted to ask, is this the first time that United and Manchester City are playing each other this year? I'm not sure. It could be Holland's first uh, Manchester United or Man, uh, Manchester Derby. Nope. Uh, they played on October 2nd and Holland had a hat trick and so did. Phil oh, Eden. that's right. I remember that game. Yeah. Well, Manchester United will be looking to bounce back from that one for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, let's see, so Tottenham at five, of course. They're never going to make the Champions League again. No. Um, they're sitting at 33 points, so only two points behind Man U and five points ahead of Liverpool at six. I, I think that Tottenham is good, but I, I think that, you know, we'll see the same thing that they normally have, which is injuries. I think that's what's going to plague their lineup this year. Yeah, not only injuries. I, I want to say you brought up this point on our uh podcast last friday is that i'm just kind of they, they have more they have more holes to fill throughout their team and i feel like that's going to be kind of the difference maker for them going the rest of the season is you know january just started 
who knows who they'll bring in. Also, as the season progresses, who knows who will get hurt. And I feel like those are the two factors for Tottenham. Yeah, and they're fortunate that they have Huangman Son back in the lineup. And, you know, Harry Kane's looking really good uh, coming off a two-goal performance. You know, going forward, they need Harry Kane. And obviously they have Richarlison as well. But, you know, Tottenham is nothing right now without Harry Kane, especially in the last couple of years. He has been Tottenham. Yeah, he he has been the entire team, for sure. (laughs) And they could all stand on his forehead. I could stand on his forehead. We could stand on his forehead together. (laughs) Probably. And we'd there'd still be room. Yeah. <laughs> to fit the whole rest of Tottenham. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Liverpool, uh, like I said, they're at six at 28 points, tied in points with Fulham, uh, only ahead on goal differential. And look, Liverpool, is they look good. But you're now coming off of a loss to Brighton, and you have to play them again. Or Sorry, they're coming off the loss to uh, Brentford. You have to play Brighton next week who, like we've talked about, they're a surprising team. They're pretty good. And then you've got Chelsea the week after that. It, it's a tough next two, but I, I think Liverpool can pull them out. Yeah, and, and with Liverpool, you know, now having their full team back and kind of, you know, practiced and re reprogrammed into Premier League mode from the World Cup, it, it's no excuses for Liverpool. I mean, they're one of the best teams uh, on paper, and they don't need to be in sixth place right now. It's as simple as that. They need to get back on track after this Brentford loss. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Ibrahima Konate, that's only his third appearance of the season, and he conceded an own goal. I could probably see him not being in the lineup, or at least the starting lineup come next week. Yeah, that, that unfortunately for him might be a smart decision for Liverpool moving forward. But then, you know, you got to attribute some of the success to the forwards. Um, Roberto Firmino has played pretty well. Mo Salah, of course, doing his thing. And uh, Luis Diaz having an impact in just his uh, eight appearances. There's a lot to look forward to, as well as Darwin Nunes. Yeah, uh, Liverpool definitely have the pieces they need to get back on track. But as you mentioned earlier, is that have some tough games coming up. Brighton's going to be hard, and, you know, Chelsea, 10th place or not, they're always going to be a tough team. So Liverpool have the keys to get back into the um, the UCL uh, place at least, but they're going to have to work for it for sure, especially being uh, five points behind Tottenham. Yeah, and I talked about him uh, last week. I think that, you know, once Cody Gakpo is fully in this lineup, uh, it'll make some changes, and I think they'll be um, a, a much better team when it comes to uh, creating chances. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what did we say he was? 6'2", 6'4", playmaker. I mean, he's going to affect any team he's on, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and, and now we get into kind of a string of three pretty surprising teams to be here. Fulham at 7, 28 points. That is extremely impressive. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of it can be attributed to the man that we've already talked about with uh, with Mitrovic. He's been scoring goals left and right, and he looks really good for Fulham. Yeah, I think all around, they have some solid players all over the field, and it's definitely been the difference. There's not a, really any holes in their starting 11. Yeah, uh, they're, just a, they're just a solid, decent team that it, that is managed to find themselves at seventh place in the Premier League. It, it's been a fun season to watch, and I, I hope they can stay up there. It, it's really cool to see Fulham do well. Yeah, and, and then another team that's doing great, Brighton. Uh, we just talked about their win. 
They took four or they won four one over Everton. They're at twenty seven points. Obviously, they've got a match coming up against Liverpool next weekend. But like we said, with the with um with Fulham, they're another team that just kind of has some some pieces all around the board. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about Brighton except for that they're probably my favorite out of the seventh, eight, and nine teams that are kind of surprising this year. Brighton, Brighton are an awesome team, and I think out of Fulham, Brighton, and Brentford, Brighton have the most chance, uh, just kind of with their lineup, to be a stable mid-table Premier League team for the years coming. Yeah, and I think the player to really look for with Brighton that's making a huge impact is uh, Leandro Tursard. He's got 16 appearances, 7 goals, 2 assists, and you know he's kind of really the only goal scorer when it comes to the forwards on this team. Yeah, he, he's definitely been the key to the 8th place. Um eighth place spot that they find themselves in for sure all right well that moves us to brentford uh like we said the the third of the uh, string of surprises is brentford they've just got pieces they've got goal scores they've got a solid defense and it's just working out for them yeah uh out of, out of the out of the teams though the the kind of three teams we were, we're talking about right now i feel like brentford's luck will run out the fastest but, you know, they're coming off of a win against Liverpool their first time since the 1930s. They're on a high right now, and they definitely have the pieces to keep it moving. I just don't think they will. Yeah, I think the, the main thing that's keeping them in it is the goal scoring of uh, Ivan Tony. He's got 12 goals and 16 appearances, and he's kind of just leading the pack for this team, and they're riding off his success. So if he can't stay on form, they'll probably start plummeting. Yeah, Ivan Tony has been... A, a real, real standout player on this uh, Brentford team, for sure. All right. Well, now we get to your guys, Chelsea, at 10. Look, it's not a bad spot to be in at this point in the season. No, but it is if you're a Chelsea fan. <laughs> because, you know, Chelsea are, at this point, you know, kind of starting in the early 2000s, Chelsea are a team that are bred to win. And it's just not happening this year. It, it, it's very similar to our... um Oh my goodness, what year was it? 2016 or 17? The year where Chelsea finished 11th. Um, it, it's kind of reminiscent of that, and that was a horrible year for Chelsea fans. I mean, honestly, who knows? Chelsea, I want to say they just brought in, um, oh my gosh, Grayson, help me with his name. Enzo. Wait, what are you talking about? Chelsea uh, scored a $100 million transfer a couple days ago. It was one of the Argentinian players from the World Cup team. I think I missed this because I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's Enzo Enzo Fernandez, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, unfortunately, um, is a midfielder. <laughs> Not really where I was hoping Chelsea would spend their money, but maybe with the injuries, you know, he'll fit in and he'll, you know, get playing time immediately. But I, I think Chelsea needed a striker. Yeah, I, I think right now um, the midfield – Option makes sense. Uh, with N'Golo Conte's injury, bringing on a young guy to just kind of keep working makes sense. And um, in, you've been playing Kai Havertz at kind of the forward position instead of midfield with how bad Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been. And yeah, I, I, I would do want to ask you, how would you feel about selling off one of these goalkeepers in the transfer window? Because you've got two great goalies and it just seems like y'all can't decide. I would love it if we got some money that way. Uh, I hope we sign Keppa, or I hope we uh, deal Keppa out. Of, of course, 
Kepa's really matured, you know, since uh, Maurizio Sarri's uh, tenure at Chelsea, you know, that whole thing with um, not wanting to be subbed off and how horrible that was. Kepa's definitely matured, and he likes being at Chelsea, I would say, but you need to get some money, and Mindy Mindy needs to be the main guy, so I, I am all for selling Kepa. Is there a forward out on the market that you'd be eyeing? I like Chiesa, actually, at wing. Not not a striker. I think Chiesa from Juve at, at a winger spot would be awesome for Chelsea. I like that. All right. So next we've got Villa. Um, Villa's at 22 points. Um, look, we talked about it. They're kind of it, – it's surprising that they're playing this well. But once again, it's a team that has a lot of good players. Emiliano Martinez in goal. Tyrone Mings has been a solid, solid center back this season. And then on top of that – You've got a couple of guys that are okay, and and they kind of just fill the role well up top with Danny Ings and Leon Bailey. Yeah, and uh, one thing I want to point out about this Villa team is they're young too. But I have a question for you, Grayson: Is Emilio Martinez on his way out? He might be, and I think he's going to get some attention from outside of the prem as well, but. I think with where they're sitting at right now, Villa has an opportunity to make you know one or two signings and completely turn this team around and become a contender. And I think that Emiliano Martinez's prowess at the keeper position kind of holds them in that place. Yeah, they, they definitely need to do whatever they can to hold on to him, at least for the rest of this season, I think, and just kind of sign to build around him. Yeah. And, like, they've only given up 26 goals. They're just not scoring enough. Yeah, and a lot of that can be attributed to that man in goal. But, you know, after his World Cup performance, the teams are going to be calling, and it's going to be a big money transfer if it does happen. Yeah, and next is uh, Palace. They come in at 22, or, uh, sorry, at 12, uh, 22 points, um, only losing to Aston Villa on goal differential. And... Look, I, I just don't see this Palace team being, like, sustainable. Um, they've got a solid keeper in Giata, But outside of that, you know, there's not anything that excites me uh, across this lineup. Yeah, and, and that's the reason that they're 12th, is they're, they're not really an exciting team. They don't have, you know, a plethora of just kind of decent players to fill roles, like you said, with Villa. Crystal Palace are, in my opinion, kind of the opposite of Villa. You know, a mediocre team, but just not with, like, outstanding or difference-making players. Yeah, and that's really all I've got on Crystal Palace is that, you know, there's there's nothing there to look forward to at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I don't have much to say about Crystal Palace either. They're just kind of boring. <laughs> all right, and then Leicester comes in at 13, and... I feel like they should be playing better, but I just think that the defense is where they fall short. Yeah, Leicester City are kind of kind of in a different you know spot than what they're used to here. Thirteenth in the Premier League this season, it's definitely not been a good year, that's for sure. Yeah, and look, they have some standouts on the defense, but Ricardo Pereira hasn't played a game this season, and then. When it comes to like attacking, Jamie Vardy has looked horrible. He's got one goal, four assists, and 18 appearances. And look, it's not going to get it done. You need consistent play if you want to you know, move out of the middle of the table. Yeah, and 
Another thing that doesn't look good for uh, Leicester City either is I, I feel like uh, they're they're really good players like James Madison and Yuri Tielemans could be on their way out this year. I mean, both of them are, you know, they're playing well on a really bad team, and I, I could definitely see teams calling, especially for James Madison. He's been amazing. Yeah, and then, you know, the next team we get into is Leeds, and another team that I feel could be higher, but I understand why they're here. I think Leeds, you know, they definitely have a good mixture of players as far as like they have your older guys who were seasoned, you know, to the game more, but then you also have your young talent. I just feel like Leeds is a little bit too much of that young talent, and that's why they find themselves at 14th in experience. Yeah, and I think that what they need more of is playmaking opportunities out of the midfield. Um, you know, their top midfielders and appearances – with Mateus Klich, zero goals, zero assists. Brendan Aronson, one goal, two assists. Mark Rocha, one goal, one assist. And then Tyler Adams, zero goals, zero assists. They need more contribution from the midfield. Yeah, and Rodrigo, to your point, has already proven that he can score. Just give him a midfield that can pass the ball to him. You know, alleviate that pressure off of him. You'll get more goals and you'll be higher than 14. Yeah, and then... Coming in right behind them, Nottingham Forest, uh, tied up on points of 17. They, they're they not good, but there's things to look forward to. Yeah, uh, they're, there's one of those teams, they're kind of one of those teams where I, I think that they definitely belong in the relegation zone, but they're just kind of, they're, they're getting results, um, more so than Everton, Wolves, and Southampton, and I think that's the key for them. It's just the fact that they've been, able to get results more so than the other three teams I just mentioned. Yeah, I think the thing that's just standing in their way is is goal scoring. 13 goals. That is brutal. Yeah, you're you're not going to have a very sustainable team if you're only at 13 goals on the season. <laughs> yeah, they've got a worse goal differential. They're they're tied for last in goal differential at -21 with the team that comes in behind them, Bournemouth. And Bournemouth another team that just doesn't look good and they've got a, a few more talented players, but we're not seeing much out of them. Bournemouth is one of those teams where I would actually put money on them to get relegated this year. <laughs> like, like I said, I am very confident that, you know, at least one of the teams Everton wolves or Southampton will fight out of the spot that they're in. And I, I think Bournemouth could be one of those teams that we will not see in the premier league next year. Yeah. And Bournemouth is a true, just premier league floater. Yeah, <laughs> they are. But coming in after him, West Ham, uh, a team that, you know, is kind of a, a certified mainstay in the Prem, is just absolutely struggling. And I, I just think it's off of consistent performance. They need more consistent performances out of the midfield. I, I, I would actually argue that West Ham, out of all of the teams in the Premier League this season, except for maybe Chelsea, finding themselves at 17th is a horrible season I, I mean probably beyond what they could have imagined the worst could have been this season um and they need to find a way to turn it around because they look like one of those teams that could get relegated just as easily as well as Bournemouth you know and th they just do not look good at all it, it's been very surprising to me this year yeah I, I think that the midfield is just falling short look Declan Rice yeah he does his thing but Susek isn't doing a ton Pablo Fornals is not doing much 
Lucas Paqueta is doing okay, but he doesn't have the appearances. But then, you know, when you're relying on kind of a, a rotation of forwards, it's really tough to win games. Yeah, and that's been proven with West Ham this season. Um, as you said, their midfield is pretty stable, but a lot of those guys, Lucas Paqueta, he's coming from an AC Milan team that is very good now. Of course, Paqueta wasn't really on the AC Milan team that was, you know, back to top three in the Serie A. But Paqueta's not going to want to stay and play in the championship. And I can sure as hell tell you that Declan Rice isn't either. So West Ham, they really need to pull things together or you could see a lot of players leaving their team. Because as we've said, it's surprising to see them this low. They have good players. And my argument here is that if they're in the championship, you could see a lot of people jumping ship. Yeah. And then another team that some people could jump ship from is Everton. Right now they're 18th, first in the relegation zone, and they just are not good, man. Jordan Pickford is a a, a good goalie. I'll, I'll give him that. He's a good one. But you need more just from the defenders in front of you. Yeah, I mean, there there isn't a good goalie in the world, you know, without a good defense. And Everton do not have a good defense, but they have Jordan Pickford. And to, to the point I just made, Pickford, play, players like Pickford don't want to play in the championship. It, it's just that simple. If you keep playing bad and get relegated, you will lose players. And Everton are in the same boat as West Ham. Yeah, and once again, it's just the attacking. Look, Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't done really anything this season. And it, it leaves the pressure on a lot of young players that just aren't quite ready. No, but I guess they'll have to be ready in the championship. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And then uh Wolves comes in at 19. They've got 14 points right now. Um they once again, they have talent, but they just can't win. Yeah, and the thing with Wolves though is I'm not too sure where you sit on this Grayson, but Wolves out of the bottom 3, they will be the team that does not get relegated. I think that they'll eventually find their form. They're loaded. Um, you know, they're basically Portugal. <laughs> and and they're gonna dig their way out of this hole that they're in for sure. I think they will. Well, we we know Portugal falls short. <laughs> yeah, but at least uh, you know, with the Portuguese flair, you, you should be a little bit higher than nineteenth, because they have the good Portuguese players. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and then last place, uh Southampton. They have uh three wins, three draws, and twelve losses on the season. They're they're not getting out of there. Yeah, they're they're one of the teams that they're they're completely finished. They they will finish twentieth this year. <laughs> yeah, and like we've always seen Southampton as like the uh like the the training grounds for young players. It doesn't seem like they're really producing the young players anymore, and that's what's holding them back. They've got a couple of guys that are just a little bit older, maybe more experienced, but those are the guys that will leave when you get relegated. James Ward-Prowse will probably leave. Uh, a couple other guys will probably jump ship, and you're just going to get screwed. Yeah, and we all know how much Liverpool likes to shop at Southampton, so I'm sure James Ward-Prowse will see him in red, just a different red. <laughs> probably. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for the Premier League, and uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, we're going to skip stake your claim. We're a little bit crunch for time. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Luke, anything else you want to give to the people? Uh, Steelers in seven. I said it last week. I'm saying it again. Steelers in seven. Look, I believe in them. I just don't think they're going to make it. <laughs> They'll be in the playoffs, but we'll probably go out first round. I, I'm actually 
I don't know. It's weird because with the Steelers, I I think that the the games that the Steelers need to rely on are actually kind of believable. The Bills still have something to play for, and the Dolphins are in shambles. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, we will catch y'all on Tuesday. We'll be talking some uh, national championship outcome. Oh yeah, and that's going to be a whole lot of fun, uh, as well as you know what goes down this weekend. Uh, playoffs wise and just matchups wise so we will catch y'all on wednesday